today's episode of the gold cast is sponsored by winning winning do you like victory so do we you know what kind of victory we love the sweet sweet victory over a seattle seahawk what the hell is a seahawk anyway it's not even a real animal you know what we're going to get into this but halfway through that game what i'll tell you what i was thinking i was thinking seattle could really use some help from their fans right now or is that 12th man now you know i don't think it's impressive when you're part of your strategy is to have the crowd help you win games that is not something you should be proud of the 12th if man you, is if, if you need a 12th man then something's not right with your football team <laughs> seriously <laughs> we the 49ers have never needed the fans to win games just saying but yes today's episode is sponsored by winning so if you like winning you're gonna love this episode but before we get started as always raymond why don't you let them know where can they find us you can like us on Facebook.com at the Goldcast, and you, you can also subscribe to us via iTunes, YouTube, and Stitcher, all under the same moniker of the Goldcast. Like, subscribe, and comment because we'd love to hear from you. And if you're on YouTube, be sure to click the little bell so you get notifications on when we go live or public with our new newest and greatest episodes, especially this one because we all love talking about winning. Hell yeah! So this is it. Finally, we broke. The streak. Ten straight games. That's basically almost five years. I think that is five years. Yeah, I think it is five years. <laughs> that is exactly five years. Uh, brutal. Brutal. I was 12 years old the last time we beat the Seattle Seahawks. So this was pretty crazy. Um, Raymond, I, 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 you weren't think, even born I this, yet. I think this, yeah, I wasn't born yet. I think the streak would have uh, would have hurt more if we were like the Harbaugh team. And we just couldn't win. So, like, you know, in other words, if we were a good football team and we just couldn't get past them, like, meaning, like, after after a while, it becomes more psychological than, than like a, you know, like a, a Green Bay or Dallas. Yeah, like them. You know, like we couldn't get back, couldn't get past either of them, and only managed to do it, you know, in the '94 uh, season to win the Super Bowl. Although we did it again in '98 against Green Bay in the earlier rounds. Uh, and the famous uh, the catch two over Green Bay, um, but but something like that. Uh, but it, it's it's an easier pill to swallow because it's like, well, you guys won five years straight, but we are also been terrible for almost five years straight. So, but at the same time, a loss a loss against a division rival is always is never a, a good feeling. I'll be honest, I didn't even know that we had lost that many times <laughs> like it wasn't really yeah <laughs> they kind of got lost in the shuffle of losses <laughs> absolutely yeah i i agree 100 i i didn't even notice but anyways we're gonna get into it we're gonna talk about it and then one of my favorite guest hosts is coming on he is the most maniacal fan i know outside of you myself and our uh, unofficial, silent third member, Rudy Solis Jr. Uh, Max Marsh is a diehard Bears fan. We had him on last year. If I could have this guy on every week, I would. He is just fantastic. He's just such a great sports fan. I love love it. And he's going to be on to talk about preview that Chicago game. Lots to get into. But first, as always, before we begin, we got to drop that Gold Cast intro. Let's get busy. San Francisco, are you ready? This is the Gold Cast. Boom! Welcome to another edition of the Gold Cast. We are the voice of the Bay. I'm your host, Rudy Solis III, and with me is my brother, my co-host. Raymond Solis I, baby. Boom! Raymond, we fucking did it. We're winners. We are winners. The second week in a row. Second week in a row. Raymond, we could not win. I thought we were going to win four in a row during the garbage bowls. And then I thought we were going to get slaughtered during the bloodbath bowls. But somehow we stringed together two improbable wins in the bloodbath bowls. What the hell is going on? I feel like it's it's a, it's it's a culmination of it's it's a boiling point of of a lot of things. I think of frustration, but also hitting rhythm, hitting stride for the players who have remained healthy and have remained in the system and have 
remain playing alongside some of those other healthy players. I think those players are starting to come along, which is great. So you're seeing that in players like DeForest Buckner, who's pretty much Pro Bowl bound at this point, and we'll get into that. Um, you're seeing that in players like George Kittle breaking out in his second season, although he was a little bit more quiet in terms of production this last game. But at this point in the season, you know, I think some of those pieces are starting to come together. You have young guys that are playing for a position on a roster spot, guys getting called up because our secondary is so banged up. We're getting guys more Harris that are actually coming out and stringing together good games against good, good teams too, especially this last team. This last team is, is in the playoff hunt. Absolutely. This victory was my favorite of the entire season. I wrote it on Twitter. I said, best win of the regular season. I was on the edge of my seat. I had a feeling Vegas had the line at three and you could tell that they were looking at this like a trap game for Seattle. And I really felt that the whole week I go, this really has the makings of being a trap game. My good buddy, Dustin Palmer, diehard uh, Raiders fan, Dustin, uh, Dustin bet on the Niners. He took the, uh, he took the three and a half points, 49ers plus three and a half. And he took the points. He said, I just, I had a feeling you guys were going to win that game. It just felt like a trap game. And I said, you know, I did too. Right when, right when we ran the kickoff back and I saw big, gigantic Janikowski. God, he looks, he looks like such a mess. I'm, I'm not, I'm not trying to be rude. I'm not, that's not my thing. Uh, he just, he's just so out of shape. I'm just not used to seeing guys. He's, he's been out of shape for, a, uh, I feel like a cool decade. You know what he looks like to me? He looks like a baseball player. That's what he looks like. Yeah. But anyways, I'm not here to, I'm not here to, you know, I'm not here to body shame anybody. It's not my thing. But I was just, I was, he's just really out of shape. And it's just like, it's just, I, every time I see him, I'm just not used to seeing football players who look like him. He looks like a baseball player. He looks like, like he should be like on second base ne- next to Panda or something. Yeah, and he, he pretty much just turned his shoulder and said, you know, you, you do you, man. I'm, I'm out of this. It's <laughs> yeah, above you. my pay grade. You do you. <laughs> yeah, 100%. But when... When the 49ers ran that kickoff back, I was like, this is it. I can feel it. I think the 49ers are going to win this game today. I had that confidence in and, us. Uh-huh. No, go ahead. You had that I confidence. Just, I just had that confidence in us. They had that swagger. Nick Mullins is really starting to figure it out. Do I think right now he's just a competent backup? I do. Do I think that if Jimmy G went down and this guy had an entire season to prepare that this guy could be at the level of like, let's say maybe like a Kirk Cousins or or like a uh, uh, Alex Smith with a much higher ceiling? I really do. I actually think he's, I think with the proper time and preparation, Nick Mullins could actually be molded into a great a great quarterback, like, I mean, not a great quarterback, a good, solid, competent quarterback. The kid's got heart and he's got fire and leadership to him. He's got those intangibles, but it's mixed with a really good foundation of accuracy. And I'll tell you what really impresses me. There's so much to get into here. We're going to digest, you know, unpack all of this, but I'll tell you what really got me was again, the play calling of Kyle Shanahan. He literally has nothing out there. He's like Belichick. It doesn't matter who you give him. Whoever you give Kyle Shanahan, he is going to make the most out of it. He makes these guys look like gods out there. He is the best coach we have had. I'm going to say it. I think he's better than Harbaugh. I like him more than Harbaugh. I really do. I think he is the best coach we have had this century. There's my hot take. Put it in an omelet. This is my favorite coach. I'm telling this. He is great. Well, he, is he def- really- definitely understands the game better than Harbaugh. And, and not to take away anything from Harbaugh. He obviously accomplished quite a bit from just playing, just coaching three seasons in football. But you notice there was something about Harbaugh that was very consistent. And he, for some reason, the offense of that Niner era always seemed to play down to the level of the defense, whoever, whatever opponent we were playing that particular week. Sometimes we did have dominant performances, but for some reason, the offense always seemed to kind of match whatever team that we were playing. Whereas with Kyle Shanahan, everything is very much tailored to, to expose the weakness of the opposing defense because Kyle Shanahan is, you know, a very good at 
exposing defensive weaknesses because he understands defenses very, very well. He studies it just as much as offense in order to be that good with his offensive game planning. But that's just my take. You know, that's that might be more of a, you know, an anecdotal, you know, analysis. But uh, but that's what I'm seeing on my end. Absolutely. Let's talk a little bit about this. Uh, <clears throat> God, there's just so much to get into. I feel like we could sit for two hours and have this conversation. We go into this game. Seattle is, as you mentioned earlier, is a legit playoff team. They have a grip that has loosened a bit. They have that. They have that fifth seed, though. They have it, you know. And Minnesota's lurking at the sixth seed, and they needed this game. They are not guaranteed to get into the playoffs. They needed to win today or yesterday. I'm sorry, we're recording this on Monday night. They needed to win today, and they could not seal the deal and the fact that the 49ers were able to hold them off and really we gave a lot of praise we gave a lot of praise to Kyle Shanahan and that offense and what he did with Nick Mullins and what he did with that team but the real praise has to go to that defense who was led by DeForest Buckner and I I said this on Twitter and I'm gonna say it right here on the on the gold cast this last last night was DeForest Buckner's coming out party. It really was for me. We've seen this guy for two years. We've seen him, and he's really good and played an extremely high level for two years. But yesterday, you know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of that game in 20, oh, 2012, 2013. Steph Curry against San Antonio when he dropped the 25 points and just rained them threes like there was no tomorrow in the postseason. They still lost the series. But it was Steph Curry's coming out party. Remember that postseason game? Vaguely. Like it's it's the one it's the one that put him on the map. It's the one that put him on the national map. They're playing San Antonio and he drops like 25 points and he goes crazy and he goes super crazy. And it was in the third quarter when he goes on this huge rally. And that was the game that that really Steph Curry it was his coming out party against San Antonio. And that this game yesterday with the Forrest Buckner for me was his coming out party. This was the game that really solidified to me that DeForest Buckner is here, he is at the level, and this guy is the future. I really felt like that. Out of um, The whole defense impressed me. The whole defense played fantastic. I think Robert Sala obviously had an edge because he's played under, in the Pete Carroll system. He's coming, I mean, he's coaching the Pete Carroll system, so he had that edge on him, but we didn't see that edge utilized in any way, shape, or form when we were in Seattle. But when they came down here, it really showed. And, man, I love seeing Robert Sala jump on the players. You see when he jumped and, like, fell on top of all Oh, my them? gosh. He, he like, <laughs> leaped and, like, caught DeForest Buckner's legs underneath him and, like, flipped over. He was so excited because he took – well, that was an extraordinary play because DeForest Buckner was sitting on nine sacks. Typically, when, a def- when an interior defensive lineman hits the double-digit mark, which is very difficult to do, uh, Justin Smith used to often went to five straight Pro Bowls. I don't don't recall him ever having double digit sacks in any of those campaigns. He might have once, but he typically hovered around eight, nine, seven sacks. But he did so much other things as far as eating up blockers and allowing Alden Smith to get penetration, which is why he was so good uh, for that long. But in DeForest Buckner's case, we don't have that same front seven. So he's doing a lot of this on his own. In fact, he had some he, – he mentioned himself during a press conference last week that he was really proud of himself for getting through on a double team and getting the sack, which is really hard to do. I mean, even at 6'7", 300 pounds, it's, it's still difficult to do because you're facing guys that are the same height, the same weight, and you're facing two of them uh, at the same time on that side. So – that's that to me is just really, really impressive. And, you know, he led the team in tackles today, seven tackles, four assists, two sacks, two tackles for a loss. But getting back to the play I was alluding to, uh, Russell Wilson rolls out to his left and DeForest Buckner chases him down and catches him from behind, behind, not only from behind, but also catches him behind the line of scrimmage, which equates to a sack. So he got two sacks on the day to go along with his four TFLs, which puts him at the 11 sack mark on the season which is a far cry from last year. Last year kind of had a sophomore slump. I think part of it was due to this uh, coming into the new system with Robert Sala, which was different from the year before, uh, transitioning from 3-4 to 4-3. To Only had three sacks last year. Now he's at 11. He also had 16 TFLs for the year. That's quite a bit. Um, he's definitely within the top 15 
of pass rushers this season in the NFL, and he still has two more games to go, so he can really add tack onto that and really solidify himself as a as a premier. In fact, he's the only defensive tackle in in, uh, in the NFL. With uh, well, actually, I take it back. He's the he's the he leads the league out of all interior defensive tackles. He leads the league in sacks with 11. The next best player is Geno Atkins for Cincinnati. He's got 10. And then there's uh, Danico Autry for Indianapolis, who has nine. But other than that, every other person on the NFL league leaders list is a defensive end or an outside linebacker. And some of those guys alternate on that position. Von Miller mostly lines up outside. Khalil Mack plays both. He plays outside linebacker, but sometimes he'll get into a tech uh, three or, or five technique stance and plays on the end. Um, but DeForest Buckner is exclusively primarily in the interior. And so it's really hard to do that. So that was the play that Robert Sala jumped, jumped over and fell over him because he chased down Russell Wilson, which is really, really hard to do. Russell Wilson is has really good speed. He could, he could have a career as a running back. He's that good. He's that fast. And for him to be able to chase him down and sack him the way he did on that particular play, uh, was very impressive, and I I was I was really pumped up when I saw that play too because I was like, whoa! I can't believe he. he no, uh, Russell Wilson is one of the most elusive quarterbacks in the entire league, so the fact that he was able to chase him down the way he did was awesome. And I and I was keeping count. I was like, he's got ten. I was like, oh my god, he's got eleven now. I was like, this is amazing. I was like, now he's pretty much a surefire. He's pretty much probably going to go to the Pro Bowl as a defensive tackle because there's nobody else that's that's doing what he's doing as an interior lineman or as, as good. He's, he leads the league in, in, in his position. <clears throat> yeah. Oh, also correction. I knew I was off on the points. It was 44 points. Steph Curry, 2013 warriors against San Antonio. It was 44 points. And, uh, that, that was the, that was the, that was his coming out party. And yesterday was definitely, the the coming out party party for DeForest Buckner. I give him the game ball. I really thought he led that defense, and he just it was the game, man. This is the turning point. A couple years later, when we're talking about how this is one of the, I already think he's one of the, the best defensive players in the league. But a couple years from now, when we're talking about his total domination, we we're going to come back to this game and this being the turning point. This was a huge, huge victory for the 49ers. It was a huge victory for the fans. I'm so ecstatic that it happened i cannot tell you how happy i am that we finally 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 beat those stupid seahawks i hate the seahawks it's not even a real animal it's not a real animal (laughs) it's not even a real animal (laughs) it's not a real animal that's not a thing that's not a thing in any way shape or form it's not yeah i think it was an all-around just amazing defense The, the defense won this for us although I know when we spoke off air, I gave a I gave a game ball to the defense. But uh, you know, when I was thinking about it later on, after we had got off the phone with our with father, I also thought you could you could easily make a case to give the ball to special teams, which not only got us the lead league in the very beginning of the game with the ninety seven return uh, kickoff return, but also sealed the deal with the overtime win off of Robbie Gold's foot. Um, so. Uh, they they start they gave us the league in the beginning and they kept us in in the winning column at the very end. So you know and the the defense never bent and gave up a couple of ties back to Seattle, but they never broke to give up the the lead. And special teams is the one that really answered the bell um, because of the defensive effort, putting us back and putting the offense back on the field and us marching down and giving our special teams a shot to win it. So um, I thought about that too, and I know some people are going to give that up. So. I just want. I think that's uh, definitely worth noting because we haven't had any return kicks since Ted Ginn Jr., which is quite quite a few years ago. So the fact that we won it in the beginning of the game and also the end of the game, both both of those scoring opportunities led to taking the lead, and and, and the latter uh, score scoring drive ended up being the game winning drive, the game winning points. So uh, awesome effort from special teams too. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah, if you think about it, you're right. Special teams, uh, special teams got us the first lead, 
and then sealed the victory at the end. And that was huge. And absolutely, you could give the game ball to the special teams. It's it, You have to play all three phases of the game. And so oftentimes people forget how important special teams is and how so many little deciding factors happen on special teams. And yeah, that. And when's the last time we saw a, a kickoff return for a touchdown? And it was for someone in a 49er uniform. When's the last time we saw that? That was that's great. Been a while. It's Jr. Tekken Jr. So that's at least five, you know, over five years ago. Since 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 the last time we 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 beat Seattle, somewhere around like, that era. I'd, I'd say 2011 or 2012 was the last time we did it. I loved seeing that. It got me so pumped. That was the play. That was for me. I was like, oh wait a minute. I think we got this. I think we got this. It was great. I was so pumped. Uh, Dante Pettis, again, had another great game. Nick Mullins looks really competent out there. I think he's still backup level, but I really think this guy has the talent to be a starter in the Kyle Shanahan system. I don't know about anyone else's system. He's definitely thriving, and some guys you know, are definitely breaking out. He's got George Kittle that's still a formidable weapon. Matt Breida's nursing an ankle, but you know, definitely wants to contribute. Selleck time, have some Selleck time for a change, which is great. Um, it'd be nice to see a little bit more of him because he does have good hands and he's, and he's pretty good after the catch. Not as great as Kittle because obviously Kittle's uh, younger and faster, but great to see. Marquise Goodwin has kind of been a non-factor this latter half, most of this season. Kyle Juszczyk seems to be underutilized, but does so much in the blocking game. Um, I encourage you guys to, if you, you know, if you're watching on uh, satellite TV that allows you to rewind. Go back and watch Kyle Juszczyk on a lot of the plays. He's in a lot of plays. He just doesn't get the ball very often. He only had one, I think he had uh, one target for three yards. But um, he's utilized quite a bit in run blocking situations and screen passes and whatnot. So he does a really good job. He, part of, his two Pro Bowl selections is not because he's catching the ball a lot. It's because he's the best blocking fullback in the NFL. You know, and that's a very underutilized position these days. It's 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 old school. It's considered old school now. But he does great. I'd still like to see him get more involved in the offense in the passing game because he does have good hands and good good speed, good enough speed, and he can get some yak too. So uh, Trent Taylor's finally seeming to get a little bit on the healthier side. He did not. He was a non-factor for most of the season coming off that back surgery in the offseason. So it seems like he's finally starting to get back into what we saw late last year when him and Jimmy Garoppolo seemed to have a nice connection. So uh, just only had one catch for eight yards, but uh, off of two targets, but would still like to see him get, uh, get more involved. And yeah, Dante Pettis, he seems to show flashes every week. Now it seems to be increasing because his load is increasing five targets, five receptions, 83 yards. So that was great to see. And just overall, great effort, great effort. And then on the defensive side, Tavarius Moore had two pass deflections. He had five tackles. DeForest Buckner led the team in all categories, pretty much. Six TFLs total, one by Marcel Harris. I don't even, you know, another young guy, young guy in the secondary. Harris and Moore are really, really young. And um, they were they came out and played played really, really well. And that was awesome to see. So great. I mean, look forward to the next game, which we're going to get into with our with our guests tonight. So uh, definitely uh, riding some strong momentum and we playing at home. So we have the luxury of not having to travel. And that's always a good thing. It is always a good thing. So let's do it. Let's bring Max on and uh, let's look ahead to a game that is going to terrify me. Uh, To be quite honest, this is a terrifying game. All right, here we go. Max Marsh joining us on the call. Gold cast. Let's do this. Here we go. Max Marsh, writer, director, actor, and easily the most sociopathic Chicago Bears fan I know. The only fan whose sociopathic fanness rivals my brothers and I with the 49ers. Welcome to the Gold Cast, buddy. How you doing? I'm great. Thank you for the very warm words. I appreciate that. <laughs> You're very, very welcome. So let's talk about this. See, you haven't you haven't been on since last year, and I'm really excited to ha- finally have you back on. You know, we've been talking about about this for a while. So we've been talking about this on the Goldcast that uh, it's been bittersweet to see the Chicago Bears raise up to the level that they are, because it is for us. It's like watching our ex do really well, and <laughs> I'm talking about Vicky, Vicky Fangio. <laughs> Sweet, sweet Vicky. 
at how much I just I look at Vicky and I just go, man, we had some great times together. He he just looks like he's having a lot of fun in Chicago now. They're just having so much fun over there. He's got his little he's got his little Cleo Mac, and Alden Smith, Navarro Bowman, Patrick Wills, Justin Smith. They're all just long gone to him, and now he's now he's having fun with Cleo Mac and all his all his little boys over there, and they're all his whole team. And and uh, you know our our relationship is just long gone, long gone for uh, for Vicky. And uh, it, but at the same time, really excited because this. Defense is unreal. I mean, the, the the Chicago Bears identity was really formed by that 85 Bears team. And to see you guys embrace a very similar identity now in 2018, come just tell me, how freaking pumped are you, man? This is crazy. Yeah, it's uh, – I, 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 I had a feeling that we were going to be the team that was going to turn around this year, that we were going to be the, uh, the biggest differential from win-loss – uh, from one season to the next, but I hadn't, I mean, and, and I expected a good defense. I expected a really, really good defense before the season, before the Cleo Mack trade. And then we got Cleo Mack and, uh, I didn't, it's, it's like one of those things when a really good thing happens to you and, uh, and you're like, that didn't happen like that, 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 that you don't even know if it's real. <laughs> and, uh, and the, the season started, I remember they're like, everyone's talking, they're like, I don't know if Cleo Mack's going to play. I was like, yeah, just put them out there for like the third down every single every every single third down. I'd be like, yeah, just run, just rush the passer, just do that for me. And it, it, it he makes every single guy in that team so much better. And being a Bears fan, you know, I remember my the, the player that got me into the Bears, you know, as a as a kid, besides Walter Payton, was Brian Urlacher and and that defense, Lance Briggs, Mike Brown, uh, Peanut, Charles Tillman, all of those guys, you know. We're a staple of who we are. My dad still has a shirt with, you know, the Monsters of the Midway on it from, you know, 0405 that era. And uh, in, and I tried to get around us being an offensive team with the whole Tressman era. But, oh, my God, it's like uh, it feels like, you know, when you start tell, when you when you quit this 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 dream you have, this thing that you love. Like, you know, man, I'm not going to be an actor anymore. You know what I'm going to do? I want to sell insurance. That's how it felt going to be an offensive <laughs> team. Is like we were gonna go sell some insurance. We're like, no, I love it. I love selling insurance. It's my favorite thing in the entire world. And uh, and then you do a then you do a play to local theater. And then uh, and then and then Cleo Mack comes to the play. And Cleo Mack's like, I would like to uh, I would like to come here. And then John Gruden's like, Oh, take Cleo Mack, join join the play too. And uh, and it just feels it just feels unreal. It's such a staple of who we are as a city. The snow, uh, the cold. Uh, and having a great defense, uh, I mean, that that makes it impossible to play in Chicago when you're playing against a defense that hits like that, you know? It really does. And what you're seeing right now, and you're seeing this across the league, and this is why I think Chicago's really dangerous and New Orleans is real dangerous, because what are we seeing across the league, AFC, NFC, you're seeing all of those, all those powerhouses, all those offensive powerhouses, they're starting to wind down. It's getting colder. Their players are getting hurt. They're having to dig deeper into the depths of the squads to maintain. And you're seeing the overall production level of every single one of these high-powered offenses that were scoring 100 points a game at the beginning of the season. You're all starting to see them falter. And what is coming through? It's the defenses. You saw it yesterday even with the 49ers against the Seahawks. You saw it with the Chargers against Kansas City. You saw it here with uh, New Orleans uh, tonight against Carolina. And you're seeing it with Chicago defenses are becoming more important because it's getting colder. These offenses are slowing down and people are getting hurt. Yeah. And it's, it's, it, it, that's really something that, you know, people don't look at it. I mean, you even said that to me, like, well, you said defense wins championships. I was like, I don't really know. Uh, Cause it's hard when you don't really have a, when you have a decent defense and you're still, you know, not even winning five games. Uh, but you know, you were, you, you hit the nail on the head on that one is we're seeing it now. Like you, you have to have, a a a good offense. You can't not have a good offense and expect to you know compete. But you need to have a a very good defense uh, in order to win at the end of the season. You know, because you look back at all of them. I mean, outside of you know, I, even you go back to the Philadelphia Super Bowl where it was basically a shootout. It came down to one defensive play at the very end of the game and by the better defense. So you're seeing it more and more. And in, in, to your respect, almost every single time the best defense has won uh, the Super Bowl almost every, almost every one of the times since I can remember. 
And yeah. uh, it's hard to argue against logic. <laughs> <laughs> the, the 85 Bears are remembered more for their defense versus Jim McMahon and the offense. Although, you know, Walter Payton's, you know, that's a, that go, he goes, he goes without saying. And that's and exactly. And, and, and that's one of the things that I look at, especially when I see uh, Mitch Trubisky now in the, in the, in the defense is I see a, a, uh, I see a very, uh, I see a very Jim McManny type of player. He's he's athletic. Uh, you know, he makes a lot of dirty plays. He makes plays that don't look sexy while he's doing them. Um, you know, he he does a lot of things that aren't in the script. Uh, and he's a tough he's a tough player. And uh, and and we don't have a Walter Payton, but we have two running backs that can do in an insane amount of, of, of work in, in different ways. And, you know, that goes to my other point too, where, you know, we're now in an era where it doesn't matter, like, it doesn't matter how good Todd Gurley is, or it doesn't matter how good Saquon Barkley is, or it doesn't matter how good Ezekiel Elliott is, you know, it, that's why people aren't paying running backs. That's why you see stuff, you know, in, in, you know, uh, uh, Pittsburgh where, you know, their third string running back is putting up the best numbers of any of their running backs in the last two seasons. You know, it's, it's just ridiculous. It's, it's, it's a really weird time in the NFL, and I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean that in, 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 in a really optimistic way. The, the offensive firepower that we're seeing coming out of teams is incredible. The open-minded uh, approach teams are having. T- coaches are trying all kinds of new, you know, the spread offense has become big. Play action is real popular right now. And you're just seeing a lot of different approaches to – professional football that really you saw this kind of experimentation more at like the high school and the college level and now you're seeing it at the pro level and it's really exciting and I'm really happy to see it I I don't like how badly defense has been hamstrung because I love defense that's my favorite portion of it but it is an exciting time for offenses and we are definitely entering a brave new world it reminds me it's very similar to what we were seeing in the NBA in 2015 when the Warriors were really, you know, it was get, get moving into more pace and space, all, you know, a high volume of threes. And they really started to change the way the game was played, kind of moving away from the ISO hero ball of the 2000s with Kobe, the Kobe Bryant led teams of the Lakers. And you're now seeing a similar transition in in the, the NFL where you're just getting these big, big, big offenses, super high powered and you're right. The depth, it's really weird that – I agree with you that it's weird. It's like every, every – is every running back just amazing? Is this just like a thing? <laughs> like every running back can can rush for 150 yards, no problem, in the right system? Doesn't matter what, what level you are, first, third, second, third? Like is that like a thing now? I, I don't get it. I don't get it at all. Well, <laughs> no, now it's, it's like you're you have to be a – you have to be a Swiss army knife of a running back. You can't just be like a power back anymore. You know, you have to be, you have to be able to catch out of the backfield because you have to be the dual threat. The dual threat is now what's totally in Kyle Shanahan was certainly a big proponent of that when he went to Atlanta and gave Matt, uh, Matt Ryan, his MVP season with uh, Coleman. And I forget the other back's name, but he's a big fan of that, that type of running back. And you see that in all over the league, you have the AFC Todd Gurley and Melvin Gordon, the third, you have Todd Gurley in the NFC. You have Tariq Cohen over in Chicago. You have Tariq Hill over in Kansas city. So all these guys can catch and run. And that's kind of what you have to be coming out of college now. Yeah, but and and that's the thing too is is that's those are the backs that you know are are highly touted people want. But you'll still see stuff like Derrick Henry, who you know I, I who had the t- best two game stretch of any running back in Tennessee history, and that includes the Oilers. You know when they had Earl Campbell. You know no running back has ever had a two game stretch like this for them. And that's a guy that I don't think is I I mean I'm sure he has never caught a pass. There's no way he's ever caught a pass in his life. You know, and 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 what you'll see with coaches like uh, uh, Matt Nagy, you see with all of these coaches, they have no problem implementing two running back systems. I think it's in it, it, even in even you know Sean McVay utilizing Malcolm Brown, a a it's a guy that I couldn't tell you you know anything about him, but they love him and he always gets touches. It's it's about it's like you were saying earlier, the advancement of it always comes. It goes back to baseball, it comes back to numbers and what's working. And in the modern NFL, what's working is we're seeing how do we put quarterbacks in a position to succeed? Instead of trying to make them fit our system, we give them what they have. We find a way to make things make sense to them. That's where the, you know, uh, the 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 reads come from. That's where the uh, 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 quarterback. What is that? What is the play? 
this, the thing that Nick Foles just killed the Rams on yesterday. Uh, the golly, the RPO run pass option. Yeah, yeah, run pass option. I mean that that wasn't a thing. That wasn't a thing. That was in college. That's the thing they did in college. And then people were like we should probably start doing this. We should probably start utilizing uh, what quarterbacks are good at. And and that's the giving them because in college, especially as a fan of Northwestern, who all they do is run spread and and option routes and option plays and and RPOs, you see it all the time. It's effective. That's how teams that aren't good, that don't have a lot of skill around them, can utilize what they have. It's why well coached teams win. It's why you need to get an offensive minded coach that's that understands metrics and understands you know uh, individuals individual players and, and how they work with a certain scheme and fits everything towards those specific players. And we're seeing a lot more of that. If you don't have an offensive guru as a coach who has a good, if not great, defensive coordinator, like what are you going to do? Mm-hmm. That's a really great point because in the 80s, 90s, and even the 2000s, really what you want to do, because you're right, systems were really hard and quarterbacks either adapted or died. That was your only choice. And now it had the paradigm has flipped and now it's about systems adapting to the quarterbacks and not the other way around because, and which really is a high school and college philosophy because the turnaround is so short over there. They don't have enough time to have these kids, you know, mold to their systems. They've got to mold to whatever system works for those kids. And you're seeing the NFL adopt the same thing. And thank God, because there's just so many good quarterbacks that have been chewed up and spit out of this league. But going back to what I was about to say, the the old philosophy was you get a strong defensive minded coach and you get a great offensive coordinator. And that was usually that was the that was like the makeup that you saw time and time again, because the big offensive minded coaches would often they do great and then they go down in the playoffs and then it's over. But now with all the rule changes and everything, everything, all the advantage and the onus being put on offenses. I think really what you're seeing in 2018 and in the modern NFL is you're seeing and that what you need is a strong offensive minded coach and a great defensive coordinator. Yeah, and it's exactly why coach why you know teams will hold on to a great defensive coordinator when they have one. I remember you know uh, uh, watching the Bears documentary and having my dad talk about it buddy Ryan uh, they kept Buddy Ryan after after uh, uh, you know they fired the last head coach before they hired Ditka, and you know the Bears defensive players all came came to uh, uh, to to the houses and they were like you know we're we need Buddy Ryan to play we love him we don't think that he's the problem we think that we can thrive under him and that's exactly how it felt with Vic Fangio is it felt like Nagy came in and he's like are you kidding me I don't have to do anything with defense and I have to find anybody I already have the best if not one of or, or at least one of the best defensive coordinators in the NFL and he's fine just doing that because no one seems to want to give him a job because that's not how the NFL works it's it's just when and you and you look at the Rams too with Wade Phillips Wade Phillips was a terrible head coach but is an unbelievable defensive coordinator uh is able to work with a defense that realistically has so many patchy you know spots all over it with the Rams and a bunch of personalities and is somehow able to make them play cohesively together and play at least decent defense almost all of the time and that's you know that's something that there's not a lot of anymore there's less good defensive coordinators than there are there's more offensive minded there's a there's a bigger pool of offensive minded coaches head coaches and coordinators good ones than there are defensive coaches and part of that is the rule changes that now cater heavily towards the offensive side of the football and the fact that coaching the the defensive coaching technique has never been has to adjust like almost every year has to create new forms of technique in order to keep up with all the changes on the defensive side of the football that that go against them so that's part of it. I mean, Vic Fangio's probably top five in the NFL. That's where I would put him. And Wade Phillips is probably another one. Uh, I, KC has actually been really good, except for this past season, because they've just been decimated by injuries. But they've got, you know, at least, aside from Justin Houston, they have Ford, and there's another guy on there that are double-digit sack leaders. They've got their, they've got their captain back in the secondary and but before before they got some of those guys back and before the, they started getting racking up sacks, they were just blowing everybody out. They were similar to New Orleans in the first half of the season. That's now seemed to kind of put it pull it together defensively. But once you can do that, I think you you then become a legitimate threat 
to go deep into the tournament. I think New Orleans certainly has earned the right to be in that conversation. This is the best that he's looked since he won the Super Bowl. Um, I think the Bears, even though the offense is not, you know, statistically is not up there, although they're, they are six in the league in points scored, but they're either middle of the road in rushing game and then they're, you know, they're subpar in the passing game in yards per game. But with a defense as good as they've got, I think it's some somebody that remains in the conversation because they're that good. And Khalil Mack was that pivotal domino that fell into the place because he, he plays a position that affects every subsequent level in the defense. It affects the second level with the linebackers and it affects the third level with the secondary because that's how impactful an edge rusher is, especially one like Khalil Mack who can not only get to the quarterback and cause pressures, but can also force turnovers. He has six forced fumbles this season to go. He also has a pick this year. So the guy creates havoc all over the place. He also has four pass deflections and all of that. And when he's not doing that, he's creating disruption. That's helping the linebackers in the secondary get, get uh create plays too because i think you've got at least two guys in that secondary that are probably going to go to the pro bowl as well um i think both of them are tops in the nfl with uh interceptions but you can uh correct me if i'm wrong yeah no i mean it's i saw an interesting statistic eddie jackson in his two years has scored more touchdowns than he's given up and that's an insane statistic for a defensive back to have five return touchdowns and four touchdowns given up in uh in in two years is uh is pretty absurd, uh, especially last year for a team that won all of four games. Uh, and uh, but but then that's the thing. I mean, even Khalil Mack getting a sack with his back uh, against the Packers <laughs> yesterday. I, I, was, I watched <laughs> I that and that. I was like, did that? Was that a glitch? I was like, I was like, did that just actually happen? <laughs> and and the thing is too is is that's why a guy like Khalil Mack. It's like when you when we first had that trade, and and then I didn't hear a lot of people even saying this though. But it was like two first round two first round picks and in you know two more picks for a, a defensive end in a in an offensive driven league. You know, uh, is is it really worth it? And it's and and it depends on what kind of defensive end they are too. Khalil Mack isn't the type of guy that's going to pull a Clay Matthews and get all pissed and and freak out about the fact that, you know, he can't hit the quarterback the same way he used to because Khalil Mack doesn't do that. Khalil Mack understands statistics. He understands what is the most important thing for him to do. He understands that rocking a guy is not nearly as important as getting to the quarterback and ripping the ball out or keeping him up and letting somebody else rip the ball out or creating disruption. He understands that, and that's a smart player. That's a guy that is once-in-a-lifetime type of talent. It's realistically him, uh, uh, as, as far as defensive ends go, it's him and J.J. Watt, and that's really, like, it's those two, and and that's really who who are the the game-changers uh, at defensive end in terms of in terms of using their intelligence to to strip balls and, uh, and, and aren't necessarily, you know, and those are the guys that are going to get paid, and that's the league that, you know, we're in now. Is 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 having a guy like that, and every single player benefits from that. We had a totally. guy, Akeem, Akeem Hicks, who deserves who deserved to be in the Pro Bowl the last two years. Who, outside of uh, Aaron Donald, was the best defensive tackle in the NFC for the last two years. But no one talks about him because we were ter- we were terrible those two years. And you add you add him with Khalil Mack, and then Leonard Floyd rushing the passer off the other side. And that's a terrifying combo by itself. And then you add a, a linebacker that's worked in, the, in that system for a while with a bunch of talented defensive backs. It's, it's, it's just, uh, and they're all young. They're all young. All of them are under the age of, of 28, I think. I think Khalil Mack's the oldest person on that defense. Him and Trevathan are the oldest people on that defense. It's ridiculous. Oh, Vicky. I miss Vicky. I really do. <laughs> yeah, and I feel like going into this game, even though I like the fact that the Niners are going to be at home again for the second straight week, I think that'll be great uh, in terms of traveling and rest. Um, but I don't think that the Bears will underestimate the Niners the way that Denver and Seattle will. And I think part of it is because Vic Fangio is a really good coach and he's the, he's, he's a, the type, one of those really rare coordinators where the key get, he has his team prepare. In other words, Chicago's defense travels well. And a lot of that is attributed to uh, Vic Fangio's ability to coach and have his team prepared. And so I don't see Chicago reacting the same way 
as Seattle and Denver did and getting kind of getting caught, caught off guard and playing on their heels. You know, per, there might be some, you know, our defense might have a have some advantages against your offense, but and that might be the case in the first half, but I'm not sure it's going to result in another, you know, surprising upset. Maybe if, if Jimmy G was there, I'd feel better about it. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, what I give you guys credit for is you guys what I've seen so far in the season as for a team that's decimated, and when you see even just a couple of the major injuries, you look at it like, wow, this team was still a, like a year or two away of adding, you know, more important players around it to be like a, a legitimate, a legitimate, you know, playoff contender. Um, but seeing how you guys are right now, you guys are a, a very well coached team defensively. You guys play, you play better than I expect you to play every time. Offensively, with receive with receivers who are you know mostly you don't you don't have you have Marquise Goodwin who we thought at the beginning of the season might be a legitimate number one is an amazing deep threat but that's really the extent of it and George Kill as the absolute number one receiver on that team and now with a third string quarterback with what you guys are able to do you guys are in a, vi- a whole bunch of the games that I watch and uh, and and that's that's a thing that 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 is that, that I know you're going to play us well. And I'm fully aware of that. And we don't necessarily travel well. I think we're lucky that we're going to San Francisco and not to like, you know, Los Angeles in during like the 10 a.m. slot, because for some reason we don't play well in heat uh, when we travel. We don't play well in heat. We did not play well against Miami. And uh, uh, what other hot weather game? There are two games this year where, where Cleo Mack looked tired. The rest of the defense looked tired. It's also early on in the season. But I think going up to uh, a colder, uh, a colder weather place does our defense a little bit of good. And the extra addition of Vic Fangio being excited to, you know, play against the Niners again, I think is still going to be there. Um, but it is. I'm, we I'm, do have we do have the same field annoyances that for some reason uh, the Santa Clara is starting to have some some similar personality traits that Candlestick had, and it's 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 coming out in the form of the field. I noticed the last few weeks at home, there's been field issues with the kickers. Sebastian Janikowski was, tr- was slipping on his practice kicks uh, before that game in Seattle. And I know that they've had to resaw it several times before then to, to keep it going. Uh, I think Seattle Seahawks even changed all of them changed their cleats uh, within like the first <laughs> wow. half. So a little bit of candlestick spirit uh, happening over there in Santa Clara. And that's always, I think, uh, an element <laughs> that that's always been an annoying for opposing teams to come over and play uh, play us when that happens. So maybe that's something that that also contributes, but uh, to a lesser degree. And and I think also look at uh, look at potentially Marquise Goodwin and, and, and some deep passes happening too. Eddie Jackson's probably going to sit this week and maybe next week, just at least precautionary. He rolled his ankle in the, in the last game. And I think, uh, I think if this was an important game and, and if we, uh, if we, if we need to win these last two to get into the playoffs or we were competing for really positioning, but right now we're pretty much locked into the number three seed. Um, but I think that that could be an area of, uh, of, a you know, to attack is, uh, attack Eddie Jackson. Our slot corner is also uh, a special teamer who I love but it's not our starting slot corner. Callahan got hurt two weeks ago. So I think that there is some potential for some deep passes. The difficulty is, is Mullins isn't necessarily um, an accurate deep passer. Um, but I think, uh, I think, I think the, the Kittle matchup will be difficult uh, for you guys because uh, uh, our lamba- our linebackers are unbelievably athletic and that's going to be tough to have your number one receiver be taken away for a good portion of it. Um, but if, if your receivers can, can, you know, get around our, our defensive backs. I think that that's really the area to attack. It's a tricky one. Cause I've been thinking about this game a lot. And I've been trying to think about what's the strategy for the 49ers going into this game. And <clears throat> you have a defense that is going to absolutely suffocate Nick Mullins. And, and, you know, we're, we're very vulnerable, especially between our guards and our center. We get very, very vulnerable at that point. Seattle exposed us all, all Sunday this past week, right there, right between the guards, right in that A gap. They just kept hitting it over and over and over again. And I'm nervous about that. But at the same time, we have a defense that is very competent. DeForest Buckner is a sack machine. And so I really think this might be one of those ugly defensive games where it really comes down to somebody 
getting a touchdown, someone finally making a, a mistake, one defense getting tired, and and a team putting up just enough points on the board to win. I really think this is my this is the game that we're looking at. We're going to see two defenses that are you know because um, you know your struggles tend to come more on offense than on defense. You guys have a heavy run game. And the 49ers are really good at stopping the run. Really, really good. You know, that's kind of one of our specialties. Where are we ranked on that, Raymond, in stopping the run? Well, most of the season we've been ranked in top six. But this latter half, we've dropped to 14th. Although that's because there's been a few hundred-yard rushers. Although it's it can be deceptive because even though the team might end up with, for example, Seattle had over 100 yards rushing. But it wasn't an effective 100 yards rushing. It was more of an efficient day of 100 yards rushing so that can be deceiving and mathematically that drops you further in the ranks but for the most part they've been a pretty sound uh, run defense so I think to me when I see the game I was like if you can make Mitchell if you can make the Chicago offense a one-trick pony and force Mitchell Trubisky to beat you I think you've got a pretty good shot it's just a question of whether they can do it or not yeah and I think uh, on the defensive end that's I mean that's 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 really what you do. If if the hard part is the beginning part of the game, if Mitchell Trubisky doesn't throw uh, an interception in the first quarter, maybe a little bit more than a quarter, um, offensively we're going to be playing our game. Whenever he sticks according to script, when and the first I believe fifteen to twenty five plays are scripted in, in uh, the Matt Nagy uh, style of scripting. Um, those first fifteen to twenty five, if he doesn't make a terrible decision and throw an easy pick, uh, it's gonna be hard. Um, because he's the best, his quarterback rating is through the roof when in, within that, that amount of time, 15, 25 plays, uh, after that is, is all up in the air. So it's all about a slug fest. It's all about staying in there, um, and attacking and, uh, and especially, you know, it, our, your, your defensive line, I think is, is the most frightening thing about your defense. Uh, I mean, you know, you've got a lot of, you know, high round picks, freak athletes, huge guys. And, um, and we got a little bit of a patchwork line. We still don't have, you know, Chris Long's out for the rest of the season. Um, you know, and, and I think that attacking the guards to center area is the way to go too. Um, but, uh, but it's, it's all, I mean, it's in Mitch Trubisky's legs. That's, that's the, always the X factor too. Um, you know, if, if he can find a way out of things most of the time when I'm watching him, I'm like, I wish he would just run all of the time. We should just run. <laughs> well, that's the last part, right? Is you're never Mitch Trubisky's streaky, and when he's on, he's on, and all of a sudden he's got that three to five touchdown firepower that you see a lot of quarterbacks have in 2018. And it, you're you're right; it's just about whether or not he can maximize the uh, the scripted plays, and if he can do that, you just see his numbers go through the roof. And and the scary part is when you're playing against a team like Chicago is you don't want that day to be the day that your team's playing Chicago. Cause if that happens, I mean, you're screwed, you know, and if he goes down and he goes, all right, here we, if it, if it hits and everything hits the way he needs it to, then his confidence is there. He gets his feet underneath him. He calms down, he relaxes, and then he just rips you apart. But you're right. If you can disrupt that, if you can disrupt that flow early on, there's your shot. But if you don't disrupt that, it's going to be a long day at Levi Stadium for the 49ers. I think Butker has, has a really big game. He has to match He has to match Khalil Mack. These are two guys that are statistically not too far off from each other, although Khalil Mack has, has a couple more years under his belt and obviously three Pro Bowl trips to go along with a lot more turnover havoc. And that's the big difference between the Bears and the Niners. We're last in the league in creating turnovers. And that obviously plays against us, against this team. Although someone could argue that, you know, you know, at, after a while, statistically, mathematically, a team is supposed to should should be able to get some turnovers. So could be one of those games where that might happen. So the the uh, the jinx might be over for this team. But you never know, really. But I but I think DeForest Buckner's definitely got to match Khalil Mack on the pressure side of things. And somebody else has to step up. It can't just be DeForest Buckner. He's got 11 sacks this year, which is, is career high. He's probably going to go to the Pro Bowl as an interior defensive tackle because it's extremely hard to do, especially with the group he's playing with. Um, so, and 16 TFLs to go along with it too. So he's, he's really good at disrupting the backfield too behind a line of scrimmage. Surprisingly, it's the only category that he uh, actually is a little bit better in at than Cleo Mack. But Cleo Mack, like I said earlier, has six forced fumbles, which is huge. I'll take six forced fumbles over, you know, uh, seven less TFLs any day. 
but um We'll have to see how uh, how he rides, how DeForest Buckner rides the momentum of having a really big game against a very elusive quarterback in Russell Wilson, and he, if he can uh, take uh, take Mitchell Dabrisky out of rhythm. Yeah, I I uh, I I, re- I really think that that this is uh, the 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 Niners Bears games forever have always been really weird, interesting games. In terms of, I I always whenever I expect to win, I feel they're like they're like I don't. spiritual when, division rivals. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's I mean I think it's what happens when storied franchises play each other, mm-hmm. uh, and and especially storied franchises, at least from my life. Right when I was really loving football and really into it was when we were both terrible. Right at the beginning of my love of it, <laughs> it's the good old Brandon Lloyd days, and uh, uh, oh, wow. I I remember all of those games. And then now you guys have uh, one of my all-time favorites, uh, uh, Robbie Gold, kicking field goals for you, which uh, nothing makes me feel better than whenever on Red Zone I'm watching and Robbie Gold gets onto the field. I'm like, well, there you go. As long as it's not 50, 50 yards, that's a good field goal. Yeah. <laughs> he, was the, he was the one that, uh, that helped us uh, beat you with Jimmy G last year. So I know there's obviously going to be a little bit chip on his shoulder to to keep that streak going, but uh, last year's team and this year's team is uh, complete polar opposites. So definitely a a much greater challenge for uh, San Francisco, and we're minus Jimmy G that the Jimmy G factor this time around. So not only did you guys get way better, but we we're 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 out we're out the we're out the door with our with our X factor in. Uh, in, in the quarterback position, although we still have Kyle Shanahan, who's a great game planner, but uh, we'll just have to see what happens. We will for sure. Now, let me ask this. I'm going to ask you both. Don't don't look at it. Raymond, if you were to take a guess, what does Vegas think is going to happen in this game? Where did where did they where did they set the line? I say six points. Max, what do you think? Six points is is a good call. I'm gonna go. Uh, I'm I usually don't do. More. I'm gonna go. Uh, I'm gonna go with eight points. Eight points. Eight points. All right. Vegas. Vegas is not as confident at you guys, and they set the line at four and a half. That's what oh, they're wow. setting. Really? Yeah. Yeah. They. I think they think because the is... Niners have won twice in a row. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's, thinking. that's probably it. They I think we're the, riding some kind of momentum like we did last season. Yeah, they're setting they're setting the line tight. Uh, the question is, Raymond, do you take that bet? I I feel like this game's going to get away from one of these teams, you know, and the odds definitely don't favor us. So I'm going to go with uh, the over. So you say Bears over four and a half? Yeah, I think so. Max, what do you think? Uh, bears over four and a half. Um, but, uh, we are prone to very tight games with teams that, uh, record wise are not as good as us. So, um, that as a bears fan, I feel like I'm less inclined to say over. Um, but I, I feel like it, it would have to be uh bears over. Yeah. I think this game is going to be really interesting. You, you hit the nail on the head, uh, Max. It's true. We, they don't talk about that enough, but the, the 49ers and the bears play almost every year. I mean, this is like almost a yearly tradition for this entire decade. And the games are always weird. I, every, every time I think the Niners are going to win, they don't. And then when I think they're going to lose, they win. I, it's, they're really hard to call. They're really, really difficult to figure yeah, out. And it, it, it goes back to another one. Of, I have so many random Bears Niners like crazy memories. I remember playing in Chicago with absurd wins, wins when we had Robbie Gold, and they were like the most ridiculous wins I've ever seen. And everybody was missing field goals, and nobody could throw the football, and so nothing was happening. And so the, I think this, the end score was like three to nothing on one like forty-four yard hooking Robbie Gold field goal. And, you know, it's it's just games like that and plays like that that stick out to me where it's like, you know, it's it's almost like a Miami game where it's like, why are these teams even playing? Like, who's even, <laughs> like, what is this even for? They're not even <laughs> watching anything happen. Yeah. So true. So true. All right, guys. We're going to call it right there. Uh, can't wait. It's going to be a great game. Uh, I cannot wait. This is going to be a lot of fun. Before we leave, Raymond, why don't you let them know where can they find you? Uh, you can find me, the best place to find me is on Twitter, at Ray Solis, R-A-Y-S-O-L-I-S. Also, Max, if they want to follow you anywhere on social media, where are you? Are you anywhere on social media? 
Oh, God. I've got a terrible Instagram that I haven't touched in years, it feels like. <laughs> yeah, you know, you can, fi- you can find Max on the Goldcast. <laughs> yeah. And also, if you're in the L.A. area, um, in uh, December 12th, uh, coming out to Loft Ensemble, uh, December 12th uh, through the uh, February 16th, I believe, I'm in a show called To All the Lights in the Windows. It's, it's a great show, uh, wonderful writing. By an Eagles fan, so uh, coming out and uh, and dwell in his sadness this season. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's awesome. I'll definitely come. I'll, I will definitely be there and make it out to that show. I look forward to seeing you there. And you can follow me at Rudy Solis three on Instagram and on Twitter at Rudy Solis three R. D. So concludes another edition of the Gold Cast. We are the Voice of the Bay. I'm your host, Rudy Salisa III, and with me is my brother, my co-host. Raymond Salisa first, baby. Boom. And thank you, Max, so much. It's always great to have you on the Gold Cast. You're awesome. Thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah, thanks Absolutely. for coming back, man. Claws up, lobster trabisque. Let's go. <laughs> Let's go. We'll see you guys next time. Same Gold Cast time. Same Gold Cast channel. This is, is the Gold Cast.